What if we had the four steps to implement to get your retirement back on track in 2021? You're in luck. That's what we're going to talk about today with our special guest, Tom Hegna. He's an international trainer, author, and host of the PBS special, Don't Worry, Retire Happy. We're going to get to that and a whole lot more when we come back. I'm Bo Henderson, and you're listening to The Retirement Resource, the one place committed to living a retirement that's intentional, fulfilling, and fun. I'm really excited. So we talked about our guest, our main topic of how to get our retirement back on track, and we're going to be talking to Tom Hegna. You don't want to miss that. This guy knows this stuff, and this isn't just concept or marketable theory This is academic-based, mathematical-based advice. So we don't want to miss that. But before we get into it any further, I want to check in on Carl. How's it going, Carl? Man, it's going good. I'm glad to be back here in room three at the Rose Creek Community Center. It was a long layoff for us, and so it's been fun to get back. You know, that's part of the the COVID deal is actually the in-person. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of COVID, it has been wild around here at the Community Center. I've been installing... I don't know if you've been to Waffle House lately. It's one of my go-to places, but you know, you got the uh, the shower curtain between the booths. Well, we went, you know, even upgraded from that. We've got the plexiglass separator sneeze guards that have been going up all around the community. So that, you know, they called me and they said, hey, Carl, you're the man for the job. They upgraded me from, v, you know, VHS um, uh, operator to plexiglass installer. Plexiglass specialist. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's now, great time. No, that, that's wild. So one of the things I'm wondering... We're talking about about everything that's going on, and you just brought up Waffle House. I got to go back to Waffle House before we get to. Oh yeah, I'll piece, always right? go back to Waffle House. So I know you've traveled immensely. Like you've traveled much more. I've been kind of lo- located around the southeast. Yeah, I mean, I have a sixty mile radius down. <laughs> no, so tell me about Waffle House. So, so it's everywhere I've ever been. Right, it's like every exit here. Mm-hmm. Is it just a southeast thing, or you know, yeah. I'm not sure. From from what I've heard, uh, I think it must be. I've I've had friends who live in. New England, they they don't have them. They're not open, you know. So I don't know where they eat after eleven o'clock at night. That blows my mind. Yeah, where I, do you go? I mean, is there something comparable? Is there like a Huddle House? No, I think that's also a Southern thing. I mean, I uh, travailed uh, the the grandeur of the Northwest Georgia mountains up in Blue Ridge, and I know you get the Huddle House. I've been. I did have a great trip down to Florida once, and I saw they had little different versions of the Huddle House or the Waffle House. You know, they were like the King House or the Queen House. Uh, kind Waffle of setups. King. Yeah, Waffle King, that's it. That's it. Yeah, but you know, the, the only problem with taking your cues and technology from Waffle House is, is we've been having some problems around here at the community center with the new plexiglass setup. Well, what's been going on? So, I mean, are, are you like dividing the rooms? Are you putting it up over the, the, welcome, the welcome desk? Or? Well, our people got upset because they asked us to like put them in like on the pickleball court because I guess they were getting too close on the net. So now they got to hit around it and there's been a lot of contra- controversy about how to do that. But honestly, I mean, the real problem we've been having is with the Utes. The Utes? Is yeah, that, you know. Isn't that a college thing? No, no, the Utes, the, the kids. Oh, the youth. I mean, potato, potato. Yeah, the Utes. They, they've been coming in. And I mean, it's a real problem, Bo. I don't know how to fix it. But I mean, they have been vandalizing our brand new plexiglass. You've separators. got to be kidding me. So there's there's plexiglass graffiti in the community center. Yeah. And I mean, just, I, I think I could deal with it if it was vile. But the the problem is now it's it's just like, you know, Sammy loves Daisy. Just all over. I mean, just like little hearts and names. And really, I'm, I'm not as disturbed by the 
the graffiti itself, it just makes me sad because here they are at 16 and they've got somebody, Bo. And after Christmas, oh, no. I just, it's nobody. What happened? I thought I thought you were working on it with, with Art's sister. I was, and she was supposed to come over for like Christmas dinner. And apparently she had to do her hair three days that week. We just couldn't get it rescheduled. So just, I think Ouch. that was, uh, was the end of that. I mean, her hair still looks great. Well, here's here's the advice I have is, you know, maybe when one door shuts, it means there's there's an even better door going to open in the near future. So let, let's yeah. hold on to that. How about and it, that? And at least while I wait on that door, I can look at it through my new plexiglass. There you go. So I like, so it's important. But even though the graffiti is a problem, you are keeping the spread of germs from going to either side. So, so good work, Carl. Well, I thanks. appreciate, appreciate the effort. Now, before, you know... We talk about all these things. I'm surprised art's not doing anything to to get some of these youth from coming into the building. Yeah, I mean, I've been equally surprised. He he makes me park my bike, uh, and again, my bicycle, not my motorbike. You know, about a third of a mile away because he wants the guest spots reserved for the guests. But you know, all of these nephews and nieces of his, he lets right in, and grandkids, no problem. Yeah, I always wondered if maybe that back entrance. The kids are getting in that way too. Oh, that's also true. I don't I don't know that he's checking that, so I'll have to check it out. Maybe I can, you know, kind of like one of my heroes of old is Barney Fife. Like he was always on the lookout, ever yeah. vigilant. And so I maybe I just go pull a Barney Fife and, and have a stake out at the back door. Yeah, just don't don't have a bullet in your pocket and we'll be good. But as interesting as that is, it's time for in the news. All right, it's time for one of our favorite segments in the news. And I want to do it a little different this week. I want to start because I have something that made me think about you when I read this story, Carl. Think about me? Yeah, actually about you. So the New York Times says people who own the digital currency, Bitcoin, we hear a lot about Bitcoin, get a lot of questions about Bitcoin, but they say have either forgotten or lost the passwords to $140 billion with a B worth of cryptocurrency. Could you imagine? 140 billion of cryptocurrency. And I even heard a story, Carl, of one guy that has 250 million of cryptocurrency. He bought Bitcoin and he's on his eighth password attempt of 10. And if he doesn't get it right, it's gone forever. So so think about that. Bitcoin was intentionally created to not have a trail, not be traceable. So if you don't have it, you lose it. And, and that made me think of you. Have you ever had any problems with like password or remembering things? Yeah, I can definitely sympathize with this guy about to lose $250 million. Yeah, I mean, I've been there before. I mean, actually, I was just there a couple of days ago where I was trying to um, trying to get back my AOL um, mail password. And apparently, I don't, I don't think AOL exists anymore. Um, and then on top of that, like when I was trying to use my dial-up to get on AOL, I, you know, I used to keep the CD right next to the modem. And I can't find the CD and now I can't find my password and there's nobody to help me. So I, I can really feel this guy's pain because I can't find out what that, you know, uh, junk mail is that somebody's been trying yeah. to send me. And, and actually, I was worried about this the other day because I thought maybe, you know, Art's uh, daughter was still trying to get in touch with me, but maybe she, she had my, she couldn't get through and I don't have the password. So just like this guy's going to lose out on 250 million and I might lose out on the love of my life all because of a password. Oh, well, hey, I'm always impressed by your ability to take uh, a story I tell and, and draw an analogy to your life. So 250 million, you logging into AOL. I same. like it. I yeah, like same, it. Same. Exactly same. But hey, 
you get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And actually, um, because I couldn't get into my AOL the other day, I was reading a couple of different articles um, on the internet doing something else. And I came across this really interesting US and uh, news and world report. And they talked about something I didn't know was even a thing. They, they talked about setting up a Roth IRA for children. Now, I know we have a lot of parents and grandparents listening to the show. Is this something they're able to do on behalf of their child or grandchild? Well, you know, I love a Roth IRA, Carl. I know you do. Like, you got a bumper sticker, you got a t-shirt, you got got a a mug. I got a tattoo. Oh, I didn't know there was a tattoo. You don't want to see where it is. But yeah, I have a Roth tattoo, right? So here's the thing. The Roth IRA, what it does, you know, moving forward with, with everything going on, one of our biggest issues, and we've heard from, from some of our guests, is going to be future tax increases because we're going to have to pay for this debt that our country has. Did I hear somebody talking about a number in 2030? Yeah, we've, we've had people, experts. David McKnight came on the show uh, a few months ago, and the economist that he's been working with and talking to, he's pretty confident, and I hope he's wrong, you know, but he's pretty confident that tax rates will double by 2030. Wow. That's not too long. That's not no, too far I mean, down that's the road. close. So I hope that's not the extent of it, but I do think the tax rates will be higher moving forward because we've got to account for the debt we brought on as, as a country. Sure. So, so that's kind of where we, so the Roth conversion. So anytime we can build Roths, what it does is it avoid, it does some really good things. Putting money in, in an account that'll be pulled out tax-free protects us from future tax increases it actually protects us too, potentially from the amount of tax we have to pay on our social security benefit and the required minimum distributions that we have to take at 72 years old. The, the Roth IRA is not subject to that distribution. So that could be money we're forced to take out of IRAs and 401ks. But if we transfer that money or build that money in a Roth, we don't have to. So the beauty of kids and grandkids, Albert Einstein said, Carl, the eighth wonder of the world is what? What do you think? Um, the the hash brown bowl at Waffle House. No, so no, good guess. That the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Oh, okay. So that means that the 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 more the block of time that we have to compound our money and make the earnings on our money, get earnings on that money, get earnings on that money, the more it grows over time. So there's enough. There's a big effect on the time we the have. The time to, is the factor. Right. So, you know, a lot of people look at a 20, 30-year reti- uh, working career of compounding, but imagine if a one-year-old child, you're able to start putting in for a kid or a grandkid, it's probably an extra 20 years of compounding. Wow. That will be doubling and doubling and probably doubling again versus what we have if we start when we start our working career. So your question, I'm going to answer the, now I'm going to get to the question. So two ways you can do that. If you're a parent or grandparent, you can do a, you can do a Roth IRA, but it's going to have to be what's called a custodial IRA. So it's going to be the beneficiary, it's going to be in your name, Carl, the beneficiary, grandkid or kid. But when that kid's 18 to 21 years old, they will actually take over the ownership of that account. Okay. okay. So that's it. one way you could do it. So mm-hmm. you could start funding the future, get a head start for that kid. So maybe you're saying, you know what? I wish I had a head start and I have a little money. I want to help my next generation. Sure. Way to do it. There's another way you can start funding a Roth IRA for, for a minor. And I've seen this a lot with businesses, entrepreneurs, is anybody that has earned income can fund a Roth IRA. So if you ever see a billboard with a baby on it or a young kid, mm-hmm. 
there's a very good chance that business owner, that might be their kid, and they can pay that that model, quote unquote, a reasonable rate for that, that billboard, that marketing, and that's earned income that could fund the Roth IRA for that child. Wow. So you're saying if I had kids, which I, I don't yet, but if I'd had kids, I could hire them at the community center to do some yard work and then pay them $40,000 and put that in a Roth. Is that what we're saying? You're getting a little excited. So, oh, okay. so there's there's limits on a Roth, right? Yeah. You can't put in $40,000. Right? Oh, okay. That's helpful. So it has to be reasonable too. So okay. so meaning if it's to mow the grass, maybe you could pay them $40, $50 if that's reasonable that you'd have to pay somebody else. Somebody's getting paid 40 bucks to make... I need to talk to management. You probably, can... you probably do. So anyway, there are a couple of ways that we could help the next generation get a head start, especially... You know, I, I see a lot of scenarios when I'm talking to people about retirement plan. There's the the common comment I I see is I wish I would have started sooner. Oh yeah, everybody. Now, what if I got to my working career and a parent or a grandparent said, "Okay, I've been working on this for you for your first twenty years. Now you need to take it over." The head start you would have, mm, unbelievable. So really, really cool. It's possible. Well, speaking of cool stories that are making us maybe feel a little old. Um, guess Bo, who just recently turned 72 years old. And I'll give you a hint. They're a rock god. I've sang their number one hit in every Italian restaurant all over North Georgia. I haven't been asked to sing it. That's what I say. I didn't know you sang. No, no, no. I, any Italian restaurant I go into, I just get inspired to sing this particular song. Not because the singer is Italian or the vibe is Italian, just because it, it makes me want to sing it. And then I've been asked to leave every single one of those Italian restaurants. Are you allowed back? Um, no, no. And they have a list that they've uh, actually passed around, which is, I didn't know it was a thing. Um, but this lead singer of this giant band uh, turned 72 recently. Any guesses? 72. Um, no. Lead singer Def Leppard. I don't know. That's a good guess. Steve Perry. Steve Perry. Lead singer of Journey turning 72 okay. recently. You know, that's funny when you say that. It, it makes me think about retirement planning and retirement strategy. Because when it comes to the importance of, of creating a retirement strategy, I can't stop believing. Oh, <laughs> man, that was art level goodness right there. And by goodness, I mean... I saved that up the whole... When I heard you say that, I was holding that the whole time. I was wondering why there was like noise in the microphone. It was you shaking, holding your joke in. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. So, to that point, 72. Yep. Okay, 72 now is an age where you have to take required minimum distributions. That was changed in 2020. It used to be 70 and a half, but at 72 on our pre-tax retirement accounts, we have to take a portion of those accounts out every year. Okay? okay. So we want to know what that is and we want to have a plan for that because you have to take that whether the market's up or down. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, that's a big number everybody knows. We talk about that a lot on the show, but there's some other numbers I want to talk about, Carl. Another is age 50. Okay. So at age 50, that becomes the age to where you can start taking um, advantage of catch-up contributions to 401ks and IRAs. So you might feel like, hey, I'm a little bit, I was raising my family. I was working on my career. I'm a little bit behind. We can actually put in extra and catch up once we reach age 50. So that's an important age. Next age, age 59 and a half. Once you reach age 59 and a half, now we qualify to take distributions from our retirement accounts without a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, is the half really important? Like, if I go into yep. the office at 59, they're going to be like, you got another? Yep. You got 59 in six months. So, it's just important. And then the next age, we're going to go through important retirement ages as we go as we talk through this, is age 62. 
So that's the first age where I could actually potentially claim Social Security. Oh, okay. So that's early Social Security, but it's important to realize if you're, if you're going to make that decision, you are choosing to take a 30% reduction in your benefit to claim it early. Wow. Wow. 60, 65 is the next important age, and we get 65, we're eligible for Medicare. Okay. So what we need to do is make sure before we're 65, we're making sure we have our supplements, our Medicare plan, and everything we need to know to cover our insurance getting to age 65. So that's another big age. 66 to 67 for everybody now, or most people now, that's going to be your full retirement age for for Social Security. A couple of important things. Your full retirement age benefit is what everything else is based based off of. Social uh, spousal benefits, early distributions, late Late, late claiming strategies, everything's based off of that full retirement age. And the other thing is that once you reach that age, there's no cap on how much you can earn. So you could earn a million dollars at your work and claim that benefit, not having you that benefit withheld. Hmm. Important age, 70. So age 70, this is the last one I want to talk about today, is at age 70, your social security benefit is maxed out. Meaning, if we've been able to delay it, we've worked or we've supplemented with other assets. At age 70, you now have optimized or maxed out your Social Security benefit, and it's time to turn it on. Okay. Wow. So, so at this point, ages. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's good to know. So, if we're working with a retirement planning company or retirement planning firm or retirement advisor, you want to know that, hey, when I'm coming in for annual reviews and looking at this stuff, Every year or different years, there's different topics we need to be having conversations about. And those are just some of those to make a note of. It's amazing. I didn't really, uh, I think, fully understand that there were all these benchmarks. I just always thought about retirement at, you know, 65. And so for those of you listening today, just a quick reminder, those age markers are 50, 59 and a half, which I'm fascinated where the the half came from. Um, But I love that. Then you've got 62, 65, 66, 67, and then 70. So there are all these benchmarks. So if you need somebody uh, to kind of look over those things in this season of life, I definitely recommend that. And don't forget, you and Steve Perry, exact same if you're 72 or above, need to go back over those RMDs, right? Well, and my takeaway is don't stop believing. And with that, that's all the time we've got for In the News. Now it's time. I've been waiting for this the whole show. You are in for a treat. We're going to talk to author, trainer, authority on retirement topics, host the PBS uh, special, Don't Worry, Retire Happy, Tom Hegna. And he's going to guide us through a conversation of the four things we need to do in 2021 to get our retirement on track and be successful. So here we go. Let's call Tom. So, Tom, welcome to the Retirement Resource. So excited to have you here today. Hey, Bo. Great to be with you. I'm coming live from Phoenix, Arizona. I like it. I like the new the new backdrop, the studio. That's the new deal, right? That's where we're operating from home. Yeah, this is this is my office here in Phoenix. I also have a place up in Flagstaff, Arizona. So I have a I have a different background for that. I like it. I like it. Well, Tom, we've had a, a unique year. That might be a, a understatement. And what I hear, I'm getting a lot of questions. And a lot of concern, a lot of fear. I start hearing the anxiety and it always draws me back to different conversations about let's get back to the basics. So I thought today's conversation would be really good for our listeners of what can I do? We, we have survived 2020. What can I do for 2021 to feel really solid and get back on track, get back to the basics? What can I control? Yeah. 
Well, I think there's some lessons learned. I mean, one of the lessons learned is that, you know, having a three-month emergency fund is not enough. I'm telling people you should really have two years of emergency fund uh, because, look, this isn't the last pandemic we're going to go through. I've already seen that there's this rumor of this other coronavirus that's even worse and it doesn't get cured by the vaccine. And so, you know, there's going to be other things that happen. And so I think if we get back to basics that we've got to have that emergency fund, we've got to be saving and investing, I say at least 20%. Now, I know in the past people would say 10%. Well, 10% worked when interest rates are 10% or 8%. Interest rates are 1% or less right now, and 10% is not enough. So, you know, we've got to, uh, I I think another lesson that people have learned is that they don't have to spend all this money because we've been in lockdown. You can't go to restaurants, can't go to bars, can't go here, can't go there. And so I think people have naturally spent less. So now they've learned they can live on less. And and that's part of the whole deal. The, The only way you get wealthy in America is to spend less than what you make. And and most people do the opposite. They spend more than what they make. And so we got to get back to some of those basics. So positive cash flow is the answer, which it reminds me, so so we could say, so what do you recommend? So three months isn't enough. Are we thinking six months, nine months, a year? I, I, I say shoot for two years, at least one okay. year, I think. Because look, there's other things that are going to happen. There, you know, there's... There, you think we're never going to have another terrorist attack, another bombing? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know things happen and and you just got to be prepared for that. And I think too many people always look at the upside. Oh, the market always goes up. Oh, this always happens. It doesn't always go up and things aren't always good. And you've got to, you, you can hope for the best, but you got to plan for the worst. And so I think we've learned some of that and then put our money into appreciating assets instead of depreciating assets. Think about it. Most people put their money into cars and boats and RVs and motorcycles and iPhones and shoes and dresses. All of those things go down in value every single day. What we should be doing is focusing on putting our money into appreciating assets, whether that's stocks or investments or real estate or crypto. I don't care, but put your put your your money in places where it can go up instead of, you know, just go down. We you're talking about cash flow. My, on the plane ride out, I'm in Des Moines right now. And on the plane ride out, there's a, a fella sitting across the aisle from me. And it came up what I do uh, that I talk to re- to retirees about living a, a successful retirement. And he told me he had a little over a million dollars in his 401k plan. And he said, is that good? I said, could be enough, might not be near enough. So, so let's speak to that a little bit. People sometimes maybe focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. And, and, and see the 401k, what was an amazing thing back when taxes were higher uh, and, and you could take money out of your paycheck, get a deduction, let it grow tax deferred, and then you retired, you'd be in a lower tax bracket, you'd take it out. That, it would make perfect sense. We all did it. But, but here's the problem. We're $28 trillion in debt. The debt is climbing at 3 to $4 billion every single morning. Uh, we have $200 trillion of unfunded obligations for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, government pensions, military pensions. And so taxes are going to have to go up significantly. And the experts I follow say that for most people, the taxes are going to have to double. And unfortunately, for some of your listeners, they're going to have to triple. And, and so wow. with the, the 401k, you have no idea of how much you have. He thinks he has a million dollars. He doesn't have a million dollars. The government is his partner. And the government, by the way, is the general partner. He's the limited partner. So when when the general partner comes in and takes as much as they want, the limited partner only gets what's left over. And that's why 401ks, I don't believe right now, are the best place for putting money. I've been converting any money I have in regular IRAs and 401ks into, uh, into Roth IRAs. And then I've been also pouring more of my personal wealth into cash value life insurance. What I'm trying to do is build more tax-free buckets 
that I can take money out of in retirement because I've announced that pretty much next year I'm retiring. I've, I did a trial retirement last summer. I loved it. I did it again this year. Loved it. So I'm ready. And I and and so I don't just talk this. I walk the walk. You know, I've written five books on retirement, but I have done everything that I talk about in these books. So yeah, it's putting your money where your mouth is. I like that. Uh, so the other the other thing that I was want, I wanted to make sure we brought up is it's no secret. A lot of the questions that come in here, they're about where should I invest? They're about um, the sexy parts of, of investing, the things you see in headlines. And I know I've been around your work enough, Tom, to know that you see maybe it's all about focusing on how much risk can we mitigate? So, so there's two phases of retirement. There's the accumulation phase. That's when you're building it. That's when you're saving, you're investing. And then there's the distribution phase. That's when you get into retirement. And they are two totally different phases. And what got you in the accumulation phase, the asset allocation, the diversification, and all of that, uh, dollar cost averaging, that doesn't work in retirement because dollar cost averaging now turns into dollar cost ravaging because of the sequence of returns risk. And and retirement is not about the stock market or real estate or all of that. It's more about having income, in fact, increasing income for the rest of your life, and then risk management because retirement is full of risks. There's market risk. The market could crash right before or after you retire. That can devastate your retirement. You could take out too much money. That's called withdrawal rate risk. Uh, there's this thing called sequence of returns risk. That's that dollar cost ravaging that's going to wipe out tens of millions of baby boomers, and most of them don't even know what it is. Uh, and then there's the risk that we might see inflation. There's a risk of deflation. They're, they're going to raise your taxes. I can almost assure you that. And then that there's long-term care, and then eventually you're going to die. And you've got to plan for each of those risks because any one of those risks can completely wipe out your retirement. So it's no longer about diversification, asset allocation. That can play a portion of right. your distribution phase, but that's not what's important. What's important in the retirement phase is having increasing income for the rest of your life and managing those risks. Well, so let, let's do, so we got the uh, a shift, a little mind shift with, let's go from the three to six month standard emergency fund. Let's do a minimum of a year, maybe two. I like that. That's, that's a takeaway. What are a few more things we could do to say, this is what I want to make sure I work on in 2021 to feel really solid, like I'm doing the right things? Well, you know, if for your younger, for your younger investors, uh, for your younger listeners, they need to be saving more. You know, you used to be able to save 10% and that was enough. That's not enough. Now you need to save 20% because 10% worked when there was a 10%, you know, interest rate. It's now, you know, 1% interest rate. So you've got to save more. So at least 20% of your income you need to save. Um, you need to make sure you have the right protection. You got to have life insurance, disability insurance, medical insurance, liability insurance. People drive these fancy cars and then they put the minimums on it. That's ridiculous. You know, I have an umbrella policy of millions of dollars because I don't want somebody to sue my money away from me. Okay. And, and so there's the protection. And then for younger investors, they need to they need to diversify. And, you know, believe it or not, as conservative as I am, I'm not against cryptocurrency. I, I say okay. I have no problem with somebody putting 1% of their portfolio. I'm not saying 100, I say 1% because if crypto, if Bitcoin does go to a million dollars of Bitcoin, you'll be glad you did it. If it goes yeah. to zero, it won't tank your portfolio. Um, there are even some advisors out there now saying 5%. I'm still at 1%, but, you know, the, the, the thing is they got to be diversified. But then once they're in retirement, there are really four simple steps that they can take to, to have a better retirement. Okay, let's go. So the first, and then this is one, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the concerns too are outliving our money. 
Right. So how do we best address? That's the number one risk in retirement is longevity risk because Mm -hmm. longevity is not just a risk. It's a risk multiplier of all the other risks because the longer you live, the more likely the market will crash. The longer you live, the more likely you'll take out too much money. The longer you live, the more likely we'll see inflation. We'll see higher taxes. You might need long-term care. And Mm -hmm. so what the PhDs who study retirement say is that as a minimum, this is step number one in the four steps, cover your basic living expenses in retirement with guaranteed lifetime income. So that's not where stocks fit or bonds fit or real estate. That's where guaranteed lifetime income fits to at least cover your basic living expenses. And I I think we've seen why, right? Because, you know, uh, with this COVID thing, people would say, oh, I don't need guaranteed lifetime income. I got real estate. Well, how's real estate working when renters don't have to pay rent and landlords can't evict them? I'm not against real estate, but it shouldn't be there to cover your basic living expenses. People say, oh, I do ladder bonds. Well, how do ladder bonds work when the 10-year treasury is at 85 basis points? Ladder bonds aren't going to get you there. Then they say, oh, dividend paying stocks. I'm not against dividend paying stocks, but hundreds of companies slashed or eliminated the dividends on those stocks. And it's that's fine for the play check, but it's not for the paycheck. It shouldn't be used for covering basic living expenses. And then people say, oh, I do tax-free municipal bonds. Well, tax-free municipal bonds have been on the cover of Barron's magazine like three times in the last, you know, 15 weeks because these municipalities have seen increased expenses and their revenue's gone down. And so municipal bonds are, are not any formal source of guaranteed lifetime income. So you really need to cover that basic, those basic living expenses, your food, your housing, your clothing, your cell phone, your internet, that should be covered with guaranteed lifetime income. And how do we do that? So we're, we're, well, we're shifting to an annuity conversation. Well, right? there are three sources of guaranteed lifetime income. The first source is social security. But right. I, I always ask people, what is social security? It's a lifetime income annuity. It's a guaranteed paycheck right. for life. The second source is a pension. But what is a pension? A pension is a lifetime income annuity. It's a guaranteed paycheck for life. And what the PhDs who study retirement say is you should cover those basic living expenses with guaranteed lifetime income. So social security counts, pension counts, but whatever you're short, you're supposed to go find an insurance company and buy some form of lifetime income annuity. And I think the key here, Tom, that when we run into, we do kind of a bucket planning that, that implements this kind of philosophy is that it's, uh, let's get clear on the income gap that we're talking right. about. What are we trying to cover? What are those other pieces available? And I'll even argue, I've seen some pensions that I had a guy bring in a letter that it was dropping to half its value in a couple of months. So even that's variable, right? But yeah. but what what is that income gap we want to cover? And and then fill that. What asset does it take to buy that? Just just as you're you're explaining to us, but there's a lot of questions I come up with, and I just I'm, I've always been curious what your feedback would be. Um, initially, I'll guess I say, well, oh, you said annuity, I don't do that, and I'll ask why, and there's no reason why, right? If I just heard something, I read something, and when we start breaking down the right tool for the job, it has all the characteristics I agree I want, but it has the word annuity attached to you. Is that is that well bad advisors? What what what's look, led to that? As you know, Bo, I don't sell any annuities. I don't sell any financial products. I don't get compensated on the sale of financial products. I don't care if people buy them or not. But the research is clear. The PhDs who've studied retirement, they are unanimous saying that you've got to have an annuity in that portfolio. And And if people say they don't like annuities, then I would challenge them. I say, okay, prove it to me. Cancel your social security right now. Cancel your pension because those are annuities. And then they say, well, I guess we like those kind of annuities. We just don't like insurance company annuities. And I say, well, why is that? Well, because we're all loaded up with fees and everything. Most people don't realize that most annuities are not even fee products. 
A single premium immediate annuity is not a fee product. If you're guaranteed $1,000 a month for the rest of your life, that's exactly what's going to hit your bank account. A deferred income annuity is not a fee product. If you're guaranteed 1000 bucks a month for the rest of your life, that's exactly what will hit your bank account. A fixed annuity is not a fee product. A fixed indexed annuity is not a fee product. It's really only variable annuities and some income riders on products that may have right. fees. But I tell people that doesn't mean they're bad. It means you have to weigh out what is the fee versus what is the guarantee. But if people don't want to pay any fees, there are thousands of annuities on the market that don't have fees. So, so it's, it's really, I think, a misunderstanding. And if they would just read the, the white papers that I've read from PhDs all over the world, I can't find one that says negative things about annuities, not one. It's the right tool in the right place to do the job. It'd be like saying, Bo, hammers are bad. Well, right. hammers, you're not going to use a hammer when you need a screwdriver. And you're not going to use a hammer to saw a board. But if you need a nail to be pounded in, you need a hammer. And if you're in retirement and you need some guaranteed income, that's what an annuity does. That's not what stocks do. That's not what bonds do. That is not what real estate does. My first book was titled Paychecks and Playchecks. And the annuity fits in the paycheck. Those other products fit fine with the play check. I, I'm not against real estate. I'm not against stocks. I'm not against any of that. But they don't fit in the guaranteed bucket. And I think we've learned that in the last 12 months. Well, that so you brought that up too. I think that's part of the, the problem that happens is uh, that unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of, of that conversation had, oh, you have, you have $500,000 in retirement. We should put that in an annuity because it has all these features as opposed to, wow, for your income gap, maybe 300000 needs to be there. So that brings up the question, if we're really building a strategy, what do we do with the rest? Once the income gap is protected, then it's not just, hey, here's a one-stop shop. Then we got to keep building this, this strategy. Out. Yeah. So step number one is cover those basic living expenses with guaranteed lifetime income. Step number two is to optimize the rest of your portfolio to protect yourself against inflation. So see, that's where real estate fits. That's where stocks fit. That's where mutual funds fit. Is, is in step two, the play check and, and, and protecting yourself against inflation. Okay, so that's where the, so, so it's, not, uh, it's not either or, and, and, I, and I know I'm just saying this because I hear this a lot, it's not either or. It's not, no. I've gotta be, I gotta play it safe or I gotta roll the dice. No. It really is both and. Yeah, and the more, the more that you have guaranteed, the more risk you can actually take. See, I can invest a little riskier than many people because I have so much guaranteed on, on the other side. So I, I think you can actually do better on both sides if you have that. The, look, the easiest way for the average person to do this, if the average person right now is, is, is invested 60% stock and 40% bond, all I say is why not move the bond portfolio into the annuity? Uh, Roger Ibbotson is a PhD and he did a study and he went back 40 years and he compared a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio to a 60% stock, 40% annuity portfolio. He found the annuity portfolio outperformed the bond portfolio for the last 40 years and is likely to do so for the next 40 years. So again, these aren't my opinions. I stick to math and science. I stick to the research of leading PhDs. So just move your bond portfolio, which is doing nothing right now. If you look at it, what are bonds paying? One or 2%. And, and you know what happens? You know what? People don't understand this. If you have a 10-year treasury bond guaranteed by the U.S. government, if it's paying 1% and it now goes to 2%, did you know your bond just got cut in half? If you put a million dollars in there, that bond is now only worth 500000 See, a lot of people don't think you can lose money in government bonds. People lose money in government bonds every single day. And so there, it has huge interest rate risk because the rates are low. You're not making anything. And if, and if rates go up, the value of your bonds go down. 
So uh, just move your bond portfolio. You're going to be happier. It's going to increase your returns. It's going to lower the risk of your retirement portfolio. And that's what I find, Tom, too, is, uh, is a lot of times we're having conversations about, I understood putting in a 401k for 30 years because that's what I did. Some of this other stuff's a little new and different. And I think putting putting framework around that, okay, this is just the bond alternative portion because you knew yeah. bonds and stocks in your, but let's kind of just break it up. And again, let's get clear on the on the gaps, the numbers, and let's solve that. And I think that's that's where we start seeing some clarity. One thing we would be remiss if we didn't bring up is long-term care. Right. And that is step number three. In order to have a successful retirement, you've got to take uh, and mitigate that long-term care risk. You've got to have a plan. Now, I own a long-term care insurance policy and, and you know, people say, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, really? Yeah. If you think long-term care insurance is expensive, you ought to try not having it, okay? I, 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 made my, I made my parents buy long-term care insurance 16 years ago. They didn't want to. It's too expensive. We'll never need it. It's an insurance company ripoff. My dad said all those words to me. I made them buy it. They were both in assisted living, $10,000 a month. Wow. Do you understand there were years my dad didn't make $10,000 a year? $10,000 a month. I can't imagine the retirement if they didn't have those policies. You see, you see kids actually buying their parents' policies just to protect themselves from being on the hook? Well, I see doctors, lawyers, and high yeah. net worth individuals buying policies yeah. for, their, for their parents because otherwise it's going to fall on them. And, you know, people say, I don't want that nursing home insurance. I say, exactly. This is right. anti-nursing home insurance. I get right. to stay in my house for the rest of my life. The nurse has to come to me because I've got long-term care insurance with home health care. And that's one of the things I would encourage people to look for. Make sure that that policy covers home health care because who wants to go to a nursing home in the year in the age of Corona? I certainly don't. Well, if, if there's, if it's truly, if there was a budget issue for an age or whatever, are there other, are, are, do you look at or, or recommend any of the hybrid things that, that are out there? Some yes, insurance absolutely. Hybrid? So, so like I own a long-term care insurance policy. I think those are the most robust coverages for long-term care. But the one that's more popular now is a life insurance policy with a long-term care rider. And the reason is because it solves three simple problems. Number one, it's an emergency fund. If you need money, you can take money out. Number two, if you don't need the emergency fund and you die, let me, in fact, let me, let me show you with circles. The first circle is the amount of money that you put into the policy. Let's say you had a hundred thousand dollar CD down at the bank. It's earning almost nothing. Well, you could put that into this policy. Okay. So that's your cash value. And, and you can take that money out. Most policies uh, allow full surrender at any time, the surrender fee withdrawal. So, so like okay. that's your emergency fund, but then there's a death benefit. That's approximately double that. And, and then if you don't die and you need long-term care, there's another bucket that can be almost triple that. And so it solves three problems with one product. It's an emergency fund. It's a death benefit tax free to your heirs, or it can help you with long-term care. And, and that's gaining popularity. They can never raise your premiums. That's another thing. Uh, and so, you know, that that's, and then the last thing is if people can't qualify medically, because people say, oh, I'll just wait and buy my long-term care insurance. You can't buy long-term care insurance. You got to qualify for it. You qualify for it with your health. Now, if you become unhealthy and you can't get long-term care, then there are even annuities that have a long-term care benefit. So for example, if you're getting a thousand dollars a month from your annuity and you need long-term care, they can double or even triple that in some of these contracts. So you get two or $3,000 a month. 
The key thing on that is you got to see how long does that last? Is that a forever guarantee or is that until your the money that you right. put in there is gone? Each company is a little different. And that's why I think it's so important that people work with a financial professional. Retirement is not a do-it-yourself project. I say this all the time, Bo. I'm willing to bet you don't do your own dental work right. in your garage <laughs> with your drill set. And I don't think you ought to be doing your own retirement planning either. I use financial advisors and I know this stuff inside and out. So why would I need a financial advisor? Because I don't follow every company's products and they change products every two weeks, as you know. Uh, and so I need an advisor who can search. I know what I need, but I want to find the best product for what I need. And that's what I need a financial advisor for. And if, if I need one, I would think almost every one of your listeners needs one. Well, it's almost managing a process. It's not an event or a transaction, right? right? This is a process that's going to go on, baby. I tell people too, one thing, let's make sure you like your advisor because you might be sitting there working with them for 30 years. That's right. right? You know? And you got to be able to trust them and you got to be able to, you know, people say, how do I find a good advisor? Well, get some recommendations from your friends who've had success. Um, you know, the longer they've been in business, the more likely they are to be, you know, ethical and honest because you can right. rip people off for a short period of time. You can't typically do it for a long period of time because it's a very regulated industry. And then, then uh, find somebody who, who, when they talk and they and they say things, you say, man, that makes sense to me. I, I see that. Now I agree with that. If you're always fighting with your advisor, I'd say you got the wrong advisor. Well, let's do this. So we've got some great takeaways. And I love it when we have actionable things. So if we're going to approach next 2021 with things to focus on in a plan, we've got let's cover our base expenses with guaranteed income. We're going to optimize the rest of the portfolio for inflation protection. Right. We have to have the long-term care conversation. Right. And, and I love that we spent some time on there, there, Tom, because in this country, I find in large, we're a reactive bunch that we, we start addressing things after they happen to us. But let's don't do that. We know these things are real. We know this data is real. Let's come up with a plan now. Got to have that long-term care conversation. What else to, to kind of round? The, 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 last, the last step is to is to don't leave your kids any money. You're supposed to spend all of your money. Leave them life insurance because you can do that for pennies on the dollar. I always use me as an example. So we got four kids. And one day we're sitting around saying, hey, how much should we leave the kids? My wife said, I don't know. What do you think? I said, well, if we bought a $1 million second to die life insurance policy, name the four kids as beneficiary, when we're both gone, they'll get a million dollars tax-free. I mean, that's $250,000 a piece tax-free plus whatever's left over. I said, let's start there. So we bought a $1 million second to die life insurance policy, name the four kids as beneficiary. That policy is completely paid up. Do you know what the total cost of that million dollar policy was? 150,000. So now think about this. For 15 cents on the dollar, we transfer a million dollars tax-free to our kids. But here's the good part. Who gets to spend all the rest of the money? We do. See, people don't realize they're supposed to spend their money. You're not supposed to leave your kids any money. You're supposed to spend it all. Leave them life insurance because they get it tax-free and you can do that for pennies on the dollar. See, what I write about, Bo, is how to get the most for the least in retirement because that's what it's all about. You don't get a dress rehearsal. You don't get to try it all over again. You got to get it right the first time. And that's what I write about. There is one optimal way to retire and it's based in math and science. And that's what I speak about. And that's what I write about. Now, I love that. So spend the money. Use the money. Spend I, the money. I, I call it something, living your definition of a rich life in retirement. What is it that lights you up? Spend your money on that. Yeah, I tell people two things. Stuff. Number one, you're not getting any younger. Number two, you don't get to take any of it with you. And if you would sit back and just think on that, I'm not getting any younger. I don't get to take any of it with me. Well, then I should spend it. But I don't want to run out. So how can I spend the most without running out? You can't do that without using an annuity in that portfolio. It's impossible because let's say you hate annuities. I hate annuities. I'm not going to get one. Okay, I will make you a promise. You're going to do one of two things. You will either take out too much money, in which case you can quickly run out of money or far more 
more likely you'll do what most people do and you'll never take out enough. And you'll live this just in case retirement. Oh, I can't spend it just in case, just in case, just in case, just in case. I say, you told me when you retired, you're going to join the country club. You're going to buy a new boat. You're going to see the world. Have you done that yet? No, we haven't done that. Why? Well, because just in case interest rates are so low, the market's so volatile, you know, oil and gas prices crashed. So they live this just in case, just in case, just in case retirement. Then they die. What happens to money? Goes to kids. What do the kids do with it? They join the country club. They buy the new boat. They see the world. And what I'm trying to tell people is you need to join the country club. You need to see the world. Don't leave your kids any money. Leave them life insurance. You're supposed to spend your money. Use and spend your money. I like that. That's a great way to put it now. One of the things that, that I really encourage our, our group, our list, I call them rich lifers, is let's continue to raise our retirement IQ. And those listening today, They've got it, Tom. They say, hey, Tom knows his stuff. That's why I'm a fan of Tom's, guys. And he researches this. Are there things they can do to plug in to more Tom Hedna to raise that retirement IQ or just things you'd yeah. recommend? So a number of things. Number one, I've got a website, TomHegna.com. There's a lot of good information there. I've written articles for magazines. They're all in there. And then I've got a free YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Tom Hegna. You can subscribe. It's free. And I've got hundreds of video clips on there. So you can, you know, if you're doing an RMD, you can type RMD and boom, it'll video pop up. If you're interested in, you know, something else, type it in and that'll pop up. And then, you know, all my books are available on amazon.com and on my website. So I'm pretty easy to find. If there was one book that you'd recommend this, knowing this is, this is the retiree or, or about to retire listening, is there a starting point? So that we could well, yeah. So, so paychecks and playchecks is my first book, and that's the four simple steps we just talked about. Yeah. Don't worry, retire happy was was my third book, and this was tied into a PBS TV special I did by the same title. And this has seven simple steps. We added, you know, uh, the importance of having a plan and working with a financial professional. We added maximizing social security benefits because most people are not getting the most out of their social security benefits. We added having a hybrid retirement, you know, kind of doing a part-time retirement and, and having a little income coming in, it can help your retirement so much. And then, you know, you got to have a plan for inflation. You got to cover your basic expenses with guaranteed lifetime income. Uh, you you got to, we added, use your home equity wisely. All right. Have a plan for long-term care. Use your home equity wisely. There's some stuff in here on, on reverse mortgages and other ways to use your home equity wisely. And then using life insurance as the most efficient way to pass wealth to children, grandchildren, and charity. So, you know, paychecks and playchecks goes a little deeper and don't worry, retire happy is a little broader. And that, that's how I would say those two books are different, but they, they, they do complement each other. They're not, they, they don't overlap a lot, you know, maybe about 10 or 15%, but they are totally different books. Okay. So it'd be a good, good success pack to maybe have one of these. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And start with paychecks and playchecks and then move on to don't worry, retire happy. That would, uh, you know, I just want everybody to retire happy. I don't sell any financial products. I don't, I don't have an agenda. My agenda is try to help people retire happy. And by the way, I live this. Okay. I've done everything in these books and now I have enough money to retire for the rest of my life. And what I did was last summer, I did a trial retirement to see if I liked it and right. I liked it. And I did it again this summer. And not only that, I won the club championship at my golf club. I, oh, I was my, go. my goal was to win the senior club championship. I didn't do it last year. Didn't do it this year. But then I entered the club championship and I was the accidental club champion, the, the oldest that. club champion in course history. <laughs> but see, now I got other goals. It's not just about making money. It's not just about out there. And so I am, living what I'm talking about. I said, what good would it be if the guy who writes the book, don't worry, retire happy, doesn't retire and he's not happy. I mean, that'd That's be ridiculous. Right. No, it sounds perfect. It sounds like what we, we'd call it. You're living your rich life in retirement. I love it, yeah. Tom. 
Well, thank you so much uh, for joining the Brain Trust here at the Retirement Resource. And anytime I know you're on top of things, you have new information or anything that people need to know, we'd love to, to have you come back and join us. And again, I just want to thank you for the work you do, had an impact on what I do, and appreciate you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Bo. Carl, you see why I said Tom Hegna always delivers? I mean, that guy is on point. He knows his stuff. Yeah, I mean, you got to call that guy the mailman because that was unbelievable. I was taking notes the entire time. No. So for, for me, though, Bo, like, obviously, there were a bunch of takeaways. Um, my biggest one, I think, had to be this idea of we should be moving from 10% savings to 20 Like, that number in and of itself. And what I love about Tom is he doesn't seem like an alarmist. He's not trying to scare us into this. He's just pointing out the facts. And the fact that he's doing this based on clinical scientific research, they're looking at the data. He's not trying to sell a book. He's not trying to get us to buy a product. He's just going, hey, we're looking at what the numbers are going to bear out based on taxes and all of these things changing. You need to move that number because also a lot of our listeners may not have been thinking, well, interest rates dropping down has been great for buying things like houses and homes, low interest rates but my 10% isn't earning what I need it to. And so to increase that in order to protect myself, I thought that was a fascinating piece of information. No, and and that's what I love. Tom's advice is really based in math and science. Yeah. It's not popular opinion. It's not marketable sales talk. It's math and science. And and you, you hear him reference a lot. I get my data from from PhDs that study this stuff for a living. Yeah, his idea that he's reading white white papers from other people who are studying this stuff. So for you, what was your big thing? Even though, yeah. I mean, you obviously interviewing him and you think about this all the time. Yeah. What was so, your thing? So from a practical perspective and, and the conversations I have day in and day out with, with retirement planning clients, I think it's important that we pay attention to what Tom shared with us about, you know, there's a normal three to six month emergency fund kind of rule of thumb. Yeah. He's saying, you know what? I would expand that in the world we're in, the uncertainty around COVID. The uncertainty around the economy, I would, ex- and you know, a lot of people saw that this year, Carl, with with pension buyouts and layoffs because things are changing. Mm-hmm. The world's changing. People aren't necessarily going into offices anymore. So, so his his deal was let's go to the from the three to six month traditional advice to let's have an emergency fund of a year to two years that'll help us navigate some of these things that you know who thought COVID would happen as of January twenty twenty. Sure, nobody yeah. saw that coming, mm-hmm. but. It's possible. And we just saw it. So I love that. I love that advice is let's ramp up that emergency fund because that just gives us more cushion to navigate uncertainty. Another incredible interview. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you once again to uh, Tom Hegner for being a part of the show. Some incredible information there. But coming up next, one of our favorite segments, it's going to be time for In the Mailbag. Well, you know what that music means. It is time for In the Mailbag. All right, Bo. Well, actually, it's amazing. This week's question that came in actually ties directly to what some of Tom was just referencing in this interview. So now we can move into a practical application of exactly how we do this. And this listener simply asked, hey, I want to increase my savings. What are two or three steps that I can take in the near future to increase my savings? Okay, so I like that. So if we're talking about future and in the context here on the retirement resource, we're talking about retirement. I make those decisions based on taxes. Okay. So it might seem, you know, you might think, hey, investments. No, it's based on taxes. So 
the steps I would do is first, if your employer, your 401k or 403b, there's some kind of a match. I would give that free money because a match is free money from the employer. That's the first place we go. Then beyond that, if you qualify, if you're not, if you're not excluded by income, I would work on maxing that Roth IRA next. Because remember, the Roth IRA, it grows and is distributed tax-free. And apparently, it's not just for kids. That's right. That's right. So, we get to that. And then if we max those out, the third bucket I would go to would be an after-tax account, meaning it would be, be just an investment account or a brokerage account after-tax because after-tax investments, they're taxed at long-term capital gains, which are typically going to be less than your income tax rate. Interesting. So we stack it and we it's kind of like I think I see it as a fountain, Carl, is we're gonna we're gonna cover the first bucket up until we get the maximum benefit, which would be the free money from the mm-hmm. match. Then we go max out the Roth, which has the most favorable tax treatment, and then we go to the next most favorable tax treatment. So yeah. so good. Yeah. So so we pay attention to taxes because remember when it comes to retirement planning, it's not how much money we have. It's how much money we actually get to use and spend in retirement. And taxes are going to have more to do with that than anything moving forward. Absolutely. And that's for sure what we're hearing moving towards 2030. So if you guys would like to be a part of In the Mailbag and get us one of your questions, don't forget there's two easy ways to do that. You can be a part of our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash retirement resource. And then you can always just go to askbo.com. That's A S K. B-E-A-U.com and submit your question there. We'd love to be able to read your question in the show and be able to send you some fun, cool, free swag. But that's all we've got for In the Mailbag. Carl, that was a great show today. Having Tom Hegnus on the show was just, it was really a big deal to me. He's been somebody that has taught me so much over the last couple of decades I've been I've been following what he does, his research, and how he trains other advisors to help consumers. So just so it was really exciting to me to see a person that I followed as kind of a mentor in a lot of ways yeah. come and share and teach us here and teach our listeners here on the show. So we got to have him back. Yeah, we absolutely do. And I I mean I'll be honest, I, I didn't really know the name before, but I'd seen the face like on mm-hmm. PBS. And so honestly, when you guys are kind of chatting, I'm a little star- starstruck. Like the same guy was on the network of like, you know, Sesame Street and Count Chocula. You know, I'm like, oh gosh, this guy's big. That, that's, that's, so we'll have him back. So that's, but that, you know, what's fun about this show is that's kind of the power of, we call it the brain trust here on the retirement resources. Yeah. Hey, I love to discuss. I love to learn new things. I love to share. I love to learn what our listeners care about learning more. But you know what? We're going to get the people that are the best at what they do to get the best information on this show about navigating a successful retirement. And I think we delivered today. Absolutely. And speaking of delivering, I uh, I don't think we're going to get our normal joke at the end of it. And actually, hey, I think I think I got to go. What's going on? Um, well, Art was supposed to come and give us one of his... A tremendous jokes, um, but I, I see him running past the studio here. I, hey, Bo, actually, I think he caught one of the Utes. I got to go help. All, All right. right, see you, man. Well, hey, go take care of that, and we're going to see you next week, same time, same place, right here on The One Place Committed to a retirement that is intentional, fulfilling, and fun on The Retirement Resource. The Retirement Resource Show is for entertainment purposes only. If you could call it entertainment, that Carl is the worst.
The content represents the thoughts and opinions of Bo Henderson and guests of the show. If I'm being honest, I really think I should be the co-host. <laughs> Before making any financial, tax, or legal decisions, consult with qualified professionals. Jeez, that was a pain. I'm out. <laughs>